0: Good morning, everybody, and happy Sabbath to you all. This has been a really crazy year, has it? And we're finally at the end of it, of 2020. My goodness. I think we're all thankful that it's going to be over in about six days' time. How has your year been for you personally? Has it been the one of anxiety, one of chaos, one of frustration, I think it's been all of the above for all all of us in this situation. But it has been an interesting year. And it has been a year that has reminded us of the value of the the little things in life and the most important things in life, i.e. family and God. When you look back over this year, I guess the biggest question is: is how has your relationship with God changed over the past twelve months? For most people, it may have it may have sadly pushed them away from God because they'll be like, "Well, why? Well, if God's there, why is there so much suffering? How, how come He has allowed? How come is how come He's allowed? Has He allowed this to happen?" But at the same time, God does God just doesn't send trials for no reason. He sends them to refine us. He uses, as Ellen White says, the school of affliction to purify us. Have we allowed that purification process to happen? Have the trials of our lives, have the trials of your life brought you to your knees to spend more time in the word of God and to share your faith with others? I hope it has. I know sometimes for me it has this year. For some, Sometimes it hasn't. But God wants a closer relationship with all of us, and this year has definitely highlighted that. In this service today, we're going to be reading Numbers chapter 13, the part where ancient Israel is about to go to the promised land and 10 of the 12 spies bring back a bad report about a good land. Only two people brought back a good report saying that they are able to take it, and they were willing to share that faith with others. I pray that we will be like those two, Joshua and Caleb, who despite the whole of, almost the whole of Israel being against them, they still said we are able. May, that, may those precious words be in your lives today as well as we recommit our lives to Jesus to spread his word and the glad and the tidings of his second coming with everybody else around us.
1: Good morning, happy Sabbath and uh, Merry Christmas everyone. On this the last day, the last Sabbath of the year. It's good to see see see. It's good to see you all again and I hope that I can see you all in person as soon as possible. I've really missed meeting in person. I've really missed seeing everyone's faces. It I'm looking out at an empty church at the moment and I'm looking to see where where each family sits and I'm I really wish I could see you guys again and hopefully that happens soon. In the meantime, I hope that you've been enjoying your holiday period. I hope that you've been able to wind down from work. I hope that you've been able to enjoy time with family and I hope that between the time this is recorded and the time when it shows, those borders have been opened and you've been able to see people that you haven't for the longest time. Before we get into it, I'd like to say a word of prayer before we open the word together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to look into your word and learn about how people have approached challenges and overcome them over your sacred history. Please be with us. Help us to understand that we're not in this alone and by no means is this new under the sun, but that you're always going to be with us and you're going to give us the same opportunities to overcome that you always have. Be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's easy to call 2020 the worst year ever. Certainly for most of us, it's the worst year in living memory. I mean, what else are we to call a year in which everything has been shut down? We've been unable to see loved ones for months on end. Uh, Entire states have been closed off. And most unfortunately, there's been a lot of loss and grief in the world over the past 12 months. But if you were to ask a historian what the worst year in Earth's history would be, they wouldn't answer 1918, our last worldwide pandemic, our uh, Spanish flu, which killed 50 million. It would not be the Black Death in 1349, which killed a third of the population of those it infected. It would be the year 536 AD. It seems way too far away from us to be considered anything of import, but the things that took place in 536 AD not only laid the foundation for the destruction of the Roman Empire, but also for the next thousand years of world climate. Volcanoes. Volcanoes erupted across the world and a medieval historian writes that the sun gave forth its light without brightness like the moon during the whole year. According to ice cores, temperatures fell 1.5 to 2.5 degrees Celsius which, if you guys are across the science, would completely negate the temperature increases that we've seen. It was the coldest decade in 2,300 years. This led to famines across Ireland and then shortly after that the bubonic plague struck and a third of the Roman Empire died and it never really recovered from that. Following on from there, there was the invasions of Palestine and Egypt by the newly formed Islamic State, and the Roman Empire never rose again to its former glory, due mainly to the events of 536 AD. But as they always say, out of something old comes something new. And the Arab invasions led to a period of revival in arts, revival in culture, the rediscovery of lost texts. Many medical works were translated from the original Greek into Arabic, and then from there, taken by the Crusaders some 700 years later, across to Europe, where they, where they were used there. You see, it's all a matter of perspective. And certainly for those who lived through it, 536 AD was a year of unimaginable loss, a year where so many suffered more than, more than anyone has suffered before across the entire world. Not only the Roman Empire, but China was affected. There was snow in summer. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 13 and we'll consider the impact of perspective on the trials that we face and how we might move past them. Verse 17 states, Moses sent out the 12 spies to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak whether they are few or many, and whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So Moses is sending people in at God's direction to give them an opportunity to see the provision of God and the land that he has prepared for them. You may remember that prior to this point, God had promised the Israelites that he would send through natural disasters to drive the inhabitants out of the land before the Israelites, when they moved in, when they migrated in, they could take up residence there with a minimum of fuss. So God intends for this to be a taster intends for it to be a teaser of what he has planned for them the first fruits of his promise but we'll see that it didn't end up that way so they went up and spied the land from the wilderness of zin to rehob near lebo hamath which is in the north of israel they went from top to bottom They went up into the Negev, they came to Hebron, which you'll remember was Abraham's ancestral lands. Ahiman, Sheshai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. And they came to the valley of Eskol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. This place is called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. And we remember that this, uh, uh, that this book Numbers was first recorded by, Nos- by Moses, but you would have had footnotes from people later saying, yeah, so you know this, this place we call the Valley of Eskol, the, the cluster valley? It's because that's where they cut down the grapes from. And it was a living reminder to the Israelites of God's provision in their history, of his mission, of where he sent them, in the things he wanted them to see. And the Israelites, later on, with the benefit of perspective, were able to see that God was taking care of them, that God had in mind for them a plan and a purpose. Unfortunately, sometimes when we're in the middle of things, when we're faced with trials, when we're faced with challenges, it can be hard to see that blessing, that perspective. Because in verse 25, it states, at the end of 40 days, which is interesting, because in Hebrew, in Hebrew symbolism, 40 days or 40 of something is a period of trial and a period of testing. So Jesus was in the desert 40 days and 40 nights where he was tested his temptation whether he would bow down to Satan, whether he would take the easy way out to redeem God's people. Noah was in the ark 40 days and 40 nights. He and his family were tested. The Israelites were in the desert 40 years until they could develop the character necessary in order to inhabit the land and represent God. And, well, it's debatable that they developed that. Moses spent 40 years living in Egypt to be tested to see if he would fall to the temptations of Egypt. He spent 40 years living in the desert to see whether he could develop the skills necessary to lead a stubborn and recalcitrant people through his herding of sheep. And then he spent 40 years leading the people of Israel to the promised land. 40 in Israelite symbolism is a period of testing. And in this sense, not only were the spies tested, but the people were tested too. These men were chosen foremost among the tribes. And because of this, The eyes of their tribe, the eyes of everyone who knew them was on them and were hoping that they would return home safe. This was a time of testing, a time of faith for the tribes from which these people came as well as for the spies themselves testing out the land and seeing whether they believed that God could help them take it or not. And they came to Moses And Aaron, and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So, as God promised them when Moses first took them out of Egypt. I will take you to a land flowing with milk and honey." Honey, of course, being the sweetest thing they had access to before sugarcane, and milk being a staple for life of a pastoral shepherding society. They would have kept sheep, they would have kept goats while they were migrating because because crops and bread would have been too much to spend one too much time in one place to grow it all. So to a people who spent their time as shepherds in Egypt, to migrating across, a land of milk and honey represented the things they needed for life and the sweetness that the land had to offer them. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak, of course, being a giant. The Amalekites, if you remember, the Amalekites were the first ones to attack the Israelites. And they attacked the end of the Israelite caravan coming out of Egypt, where the old and the sick were. They prey upon the weak. They were raiders. They had no honour. Dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites dwell in the hill country, the Hittites of course being the major power in the region, the superpower that went up against Egypt. The Jebusites having a fortified city from which they controlled the trade in the region. And the Amorites being the people that had attacked the Israelites without provocation, when the Israelites had asked for safe passage through their land. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So, immediately after saying, yes, this is the land that God has promised us, we see the provision that God has had for us. Immediately they look, to the challenges. Immediately they say, sure, there's all this good stuff here, but how are we actually going to get it? Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And why were they well able to overcome it? Because Caleb had faith that God would be with them. Caleb had faith in the promise of God that he would go before them and drive out the inhabitants from the land. Caleb, the word, means loyal, as loyal as a dog is to its master. And Caleb, true to his name, was loyal and faithful to the promises of God. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Which to a certain extent is true. The people were stronger but God had promised to be with them and you plus God automatically outnumbers anything you're up against. So they brought to all the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying the land Through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seem to them. They're bigger than us, they're stronger than us, how can we possibly take this land? Where was their faith? Had they not seen how God delivered them at the Red Sea from the greatest superpower in the world at the time. The Israelite army, sorry, the, the Egyptian army, with its chariots, with its horsemen, was an army to be feared across the land. The Egyptians held the Canaanite states, the city-states in the region, as vassals and as clients. They didn't have any trouble subduing them. And if God could subdue the Egyptians, the most powerful army in the world, then most certainly God could subdue the nations who lived in Canaan, the fractious, divided nations who fought amongst each other as often as they fought against outsiders. And I'm led to think from this point What might be God trying to say to us in this time? It's been a difficult time for us. We've certainly sought out, we've certainly seen challenges, but have we sought out the blessings that come from this? We've certainly developed an effective ministry team here as as we've been able to film our sermons and we've been able to reach more people in the ministry that we've been able to do. We've been able to think about how we can better relate to people. Think about how many are stuck at home yearning for human company. They don't have the opportunity because of what's been going on. How can we reach them? How can we perceive the plan that God has for us to enrich our ministry and to share his character and his love with those who desperately need to see it. Those who've been locked inside. Maybe they they live alone. Maybe they've got a pet. Maybe all they've seen is their family and maybe five other people. How can we minister to them? How can we show them that they are loved? How can we show them that they are cared for? How can we show them that God sees them even in a time of hardship, because we are going through hardship, certainly, but we're not the only ones. And we can use this experience that we've had to commiserate with people, to sympathise, to say, yeah, it's been hard for us, but we've had God on our side. We've had someone that we can rely on and we'd like to introduce him to you. Would you like to meet my friend Jesus? What opportunities have we had even though we've had to go up against the giants of social distancing, the giants of lockdowns, the giants of mandatory check-ins, of being stuck in our home, to what extent is this situation a land of milk and honey to us as the old ways of people getting together and meeting have broken down, as people are becoming more aware of the importance of community, in our society, how can we reach out to people and offer them a community when so many more people are working from home and they're not seeing their co-workers as often as they would? To what extent are we getting into those places and saying to them here's someone who can cure your loneliness, here's someone who can be with you when you feel that there's no one else? So I encourage us to think about in what way has this year been a land of milk and honey that we can step into, that we can learn from our experiences? God certainly didn't want any of this to happen in terms of the deaths, the hardship, the disconnection. That's not God's will for the world. We all know this. God cannot be tested, nor, that, nor does he tempt others. It's not in God's nature to engineer all of this to happen. We live in a fallen, sinful world. That's true. But how can God use us and give us perspective to see how our experiences over the last year can lead us closer to him and closer to others who need to see Who he is. I pray that as we go forward in this new year, we can be vigilant, we can have perspective to see where others are suffering, to see where others are trying to pick up the pieces of their lives, to come alongside them, help put those pieces back together with them. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we've had to open your Word and to see how we're not the only ones who've gone through difficult times. We're not the only ones who've gone through trials that test our faith. Others have gone through that too, and we pray that we can learn from their experiences and we can recognise the blessings that you've placed in our life. We pray that you will give us discernment, you will give us perception, To be able to see people in our lives who are lonely, who are lost, who need to know you, who need to know that you're there and that you care. Please give us your Holy Spirit so we can minister to those around us more effectively. As we go into this new year, most definitely give give us a new and better year than what we've had. Give us blessings, give us opportunities to grow in every sense in which you'd have us grow, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in all the things you need to give us so that we can bless others in turn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.